It's June, which means now is the perfect time to become an annual member of the CFB Winning Edge Patreon community. This month, if you sign up at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge and pay for an annual Tier 1 membership, not only will you receive a 16% discount, you'll also receive Tier 2 access for the 2022 college football season. That means you'll have access to view our 2022 FBS team profiles, our 2022 returning production database, and once it's published, our 2022 FBS stat projections, as well as our CFF rankings and everything else that comes with a typical Tier 1 membership. You'll also help to support this podcast and keep it ad-free, free from outside ads at least. Visit patreon.com cfbwinningedge for more details or to sign up. Welcome back, everybody. It's CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFP Winning Edge. Xavier is not here today. He will be here in spirit with us. Uh, he has recorded his takes. You know, Xavier can't go uh, a week without you guys hearing what he thinks, too. So he has recorded his uh, thoughts on all of the news and what we're going to go over uh, today on the show in segments. So I will drop those in. So you will still a- be able to hear Xavier at Xavier underscore Trish T R I C H E on the Twitter machine. But today we're going to be talking about uh, strength of schedule, of course, a little more, um, you know, transfer portal news and all that good stuff. But uh, Nick uh, coming from, I know the move is soon, but uh, you are coming from, is it quarantine in Oregon? It might be. <laughs> I know uh, there's a lot going on with you right now. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty busy, pretty busy time. I uh, did take a, a work trip uh, last week, uh, last weekend, and, and uh, caught, a, caught a little bit of uh, something, I think, on the, uh, on the tail end. But, uh, yeah, we'll be moving DJ across Diesel country again. gave it to you, huh? Is, <laughs> that's is that right, what it was? That's right. Yeah, <laughs> it must have been. Must have been. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, a little bit of a, a scratchy throat uh, today, but all uh, seems to be going pretty well uh, at this point, and, and we'll be moving uh, this weekend. So next time we talk, I'll be – uh, in a completely different hotel room on the other side of the country. Yeah, I don't think I've seen you mad before, but uh, I can't imagine that anyone moves across the country and there isn't some anger in there at some point because uh, I moved halfway across and, uh, you know, moving is just the worst. I know you're probably you you made it an art and a science. Uh, you, you're so used to it at this point. There's probably stuff that stays in permanent shells. You got your permanent moving boxes, all that good stuff. Uh, but still a big pain. So good luck to you uh, on your move to Vermont. Stay safe on, on your trip, of course. And, you know, uh, hopefully uh, you are nice and recovered by, by the time uh, you get to that point. And, you know, you, you you got you got all your stuff, so you should be fine. But uh, hopefully you're OK. You know, this guy didn't even have to report his symptoms to me, but he's a good person. So he went ahead and did it. Uh, we're on the same team. So he reported his stuff, but uh, obviously not in the same room. 
Uh, let's talk about a little bit of the transfer stuff that has happened uh, before we dive into the strength of schedule. And uh, the big news here was Central Michigan running back Kobe Lewis entered the transfer portal. He missed all of last season with the 2021, uh, all of the 2021 season rather, with a torn ACL. But he rushed for a thousand yards and 12 touchdowns in 2019 and split carries with Lou Nichols in 2020. And that was kind of, you know, in terms of CFF, which we talked a lot about last week. Uh, Nichols kind of was a little bit worrisome because, uh, Kobe, uh, Lewis was coming back here, but now that worry is all the way out the window. So Lou Nichols, no worry about him. He's going to be, uh, you know, fantastic CFF running back. Uh, what do you think about Kobe Lewis leaving in, um, or do we have any hints of where he could possibly end up at this point? So I, I might've missed something. I'm not sure. I haven't heard any real whispers yet. Um, okay. You know, it, it sounds like, I mean, he is a, a Mac running back. So the, the chances um, that he'll move up in competition probably are, you know, not, not the highest, um, especially since, you know, he hasn't been a, a starter in basically two full years. He split carries, like you said, and 2020 came out super strong, had, I think, uh, 300 yard games in his first four, but then just kind of uh, ended up seeding some of the workload, a, a heavy part of the workload uh, to Lou Nichols, as you mentioned. And then obviously, like you said, missed all of last year. So um, he is a uh, Georgia native. So he might, you know, possibly if we were to speculate, end up going a little closer to home. Georgia Southern, you know, might be one of the first uh, places that comes to mind, maybe at Georgia State, although uh, I know they've got some pretty good depth at the running back position. Lewis, according to our numbers, has uh, two uh, possible years of eligibility left. So, um, you know, wouldn't necessarily have to uh, find a spot where he's the guy, you know, next year or, or next season. Um, does have a little bit of, of – wiggle room there but you know would expect that he's probably going to want to go somewhere where he's going to get a pretty heavy workload in central michigan at best case scenario you know he's probably going to be splitting carries with lou nichols again but as you mentioned i mean yeah i i know a lot of our friends in the cff community after seeing this news uh are moving nichols up to you know rb2 rb1 maybe in some cases um well not above me Sean, not the smart I, see i wouldn't i i agree with you um but i know there are some who who i've seen some of the max schedule's nice max schedule's nice you know speaking of schedules that that we're going to be talking about uh, i understand the thought process behind it for sure obviously my homerism would not allow me to move uh, anyone ahead of Bichon. But I do understand the thought process and the logic behind it. You know, a guy that gets this full job by himself and he's playing a G5 schedule, it does make sense. Um, the other moves that happened in the transfer portal, uh, former LSU wide receiver Coy Moore committed to Auburn. So more SEC guys moving uh, to a different team in the SEC, always interesting. Iowa wide receiver and returner Charlie Jones committed to Purdue. He should be the favorite to return punts for the Boilermakers and add depth, adds depth to a wide receiver group that uh, just found out about the ineligibility of Milton Wright uh, last week or last month, excuse me. Uh, Nevada's Nate Cox projected to be 
the starting quarterback for the Wolfpack, replacing Carson Strong to many, was arrested for a Dewey this week. Uh, and uh, he is going to uh, compete with Oklahoma State transfer Shane Ellingsworth uh, for that job. So this is a big knock against him. So it's one of those things where if it's close and you know that Nate Cox is going to be suspended for the first game, they might just roll with Ellingsworth. And if Ellingsworth looks good in that first, first game, then Nate Cox gets buried. So, uh, you know, it's not not the end of the world. It's a big mistake, and obviously he's going to have to um, answer for that. It, it's understandable, uh, but you know it, it could be it could be a little turning point um, uh, in his college career uh, should he be close in that race. And then all Mountain West defensive lineman Shane Irwin, who had planned to return to Boise State for a super senior season announced Thursday that he is going to medically retire. So uh, your thoughts on any of the other transfer portal news, plus the other news and notes that we have here. Nick? Uh, so Coy Moore, uh, you know, flashed a little bit to me in 2020 as a true freshman at LSU. Uh, he will uh, reconnect with TJ Finley, who of course was uh, at LSU that season transferred to Auburn. Um, there apparently has, has been quite an uptick in, uh, Louisiana natives going to Auburn, either you know signing out of high school or uh, committing through the transfer portal the last several months. Um, so just you know a little bit of an interesting trend there. I don't know that more necessarily. I wouldn't pencil him in to be a starter, to be a you know major contributor, but Auburn definitely uh, has you know some concerns at the wide receiver position. They lost a couple of their better players. Um, had some guys out for the spring for you know various reasons, and and so there's probably playing time opportunity for sure. But um, you know, at, at least at this point, my expectations are probably you know relatively low that more will step up to become a superstar you know in the SEC. But uh, you know, at least right away. But uh, you know, certainly has, has shown some promise in the past, and and uh, kind of a, an interesting landing spot. We'll, we'll certainly see what happens. Um, at I think you you know mentioning Charlie Jones probably is a uh, return man is is most likely the biggest impact. Purdue, of course, is a pretty high volume passing offense. So anytime a receiver transfers there, I know I'm you know, particularly intrigued by Tyrone Tracy. Uh, Jones is former and also, I guess, future uh, teammate, former teammate from Iowa. Um, but, you know, it, it, he certainly could make an impact, uh, has been a, uh, you know, has, has been a little bit of a safety blanket type receiver in the past at, at Iowa on, on some occasions. But um, again, you know, at, at this point in the transfer portal cycle, as we've talked about in weeks past, you know, for the most part, the the biggest names, the the guys that are going to make the biggest impacts in the 2022 season, um, probably aren't the ones that we're going to be talking about much in in June. So we'll see how it all works out. But um, you know, this time of year, it's it's certainly not a surprise that that we see some uh, you know discipline issues, some some legal yeah. uh, hurdles pop up, like you mentioned with idle Nate hands. Cox. And, and, uh, you know, certainly, certainly unfortunate for a lot of reasons, but, um, if, from, from purely a football standpoint, uh, Illingworth, pretty high profile transfer from Oklahoma state, um, got an opportunity to play there when Spencer Sanders was, was banged up. And I believe if memory serves was the highest rated quarterback recruit, uh, Mike Gundy ever brought in 
at the time at, at Oklahoma State. So um, he's a guy that uh, wasn't going to be able to enroll at Nevada until the summer. So Nate Cox was able to, with the new coaching staff, get a little bit of a head start, not only because he started the bowl game because Carson Strong uh, was preparing for the NFL draft, but, um, you know, with going through the whole spring, basically, as as the guy getting the number one reps. And so for something like this to pop up, again, you know, I'm talking purely football here, but you would expect that at the at the minimum, he's probably going to miss a little bit of time in, in week one, maybe a full game, maybe a couple, who knows. Um, but at, at the very least, that it probably erases uh, the head start that Cox was able to, to get in that quarterback battle. So Illingworth will, will come in and, and uh, have an opportunity, you know, to, to take that job away um, and maybe get those, you know, number one reps in, in week one. And at that point um, it's his to lose. So uh, we'll see how it all plays out. It's, it's definitely uh, a completely brand new looking offense at Nevada team, basically as a whole, uh, the amount of, of losses that they suffered to graduation in, in the transfer portal. Um, so it's, it's, you know, one, one to watch that certainly puts that, uh, quarterback battle in an even murkier, uh, situation. Um, right before we started recording, saw the news about Shane Irwin and, and, uh, that's, it's, you know, from a returning production standpoint, I mean, certainly you hate anytime a, a guy yeah. can't, uh, can't go, you know, can't, can't, uh, fulfill, um, you know, what he wants to do career wise. But um, again, talking, you know, purely from a football standpoint, Irwin was, you know, I believe he, he led the team in pressures last year, 26 pressures, according to PFF. Uh, next closest was, was 24. Yeah. So, you know, the, the biggest impact pass rusher um, that Boise state had and, and, you know, had uh, three sacks had, you know, looks like five tackles for loss. So put up some, uh, some stats for sure. But, but I think even, you know, just from a pressuring the quarterback uh, standpoint, pretty, pretty big loss. And, and that Boise state defense was on the higher end and, in you know, returning production numbers. Um, and, and so, you know, one player certainly doesn't on the defensive side of the ball make quite the, the same impact, um, that you might on, on, uh, you know, whether it's starting quarterback or, or, uh, a number one receiver or things like that, things get spread out a little bit more on that side, but, but Boise state was seventh in defensive returning production, uh, before this news. And, and so they certainly, you know, fall down a, a few spots there in, 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 you know, those numbers. Yeah, it's disappointing. I mean, uh, you know, like you, you mentioned before, anytime you see a guy have to hang it up uh, because of injury stuff, it's sad, especially at the collegiate level. So, uh, oh, you know, guy, guy I'm sure is going to earn himself a degree and, and uh, go on to great things off the field. Uh, but hopefully, um, you know, uh, it, it gets better for him because I know that had to hurt today. Uh, medically retiring from the game. But uh, like I said, Xavier is not here, so I'm going to go ahead and drop in his thoughts on the transfers in the news right now. Yeah, so I, I really like Kobe Lewis. Uh, I think this is a guy who really could go to a P5 school, and I ball out, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, you know, any guy who can run for 1,000 yards and 12 touchdowns. I mean, yes, I understand that, you know, he's had a pretty poor injury history since, but 
you know, he's got a real opportunity to make somebody's running back room really nice, right? He could add some serious depth to a couple of teams. Uh, off the top of my head, obviously, I think Auburn could use some more depth at their running back position. Obviously, they have Tank Bigsby, but I think they could use some more guys that can maybe be a little bit more explosive uh, just to give Tank some some rest. You know, obviously, he's going to be taking a lot, the bulk of the carries, but, you know, we, we've seen that teams that win championships in the past or at least compete at a high level have a, you know, a platoon at the running back position. And I think, you know, Kobe Lewis could be great uh, there, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, to, to give to some of the smaller schools, maybe, I think Georgia Tech could definitely – uh, use this, obviously losing Jameer Gibbs. They can use a guy who understands, uh, you know, who's a ready-made player, you know, especially with the situation there. I think, you know, Jeff Collins could really use some more ready-made players uh, for a guy who currently doesn't have that and is, from all intents and purposes, on the chopping block, right? Like, he's a guy who really could use some players that could step in day one and be, you know, starters at the very least, or at least compete for a starting spot. And I think it wouldn't be too much of a massive step up from a guy coming off of a torn ACL who, you know, is going from Central Michigan to the ACC. I think he could, I think he could definitely, definitely flourish. Um, if To stay in the ACC, though, you know, I think Louisville would be another one that he could really flourish at being with another with, a, with a, another mobile quarterback, just like Jeff Sims at Georgia Tech. Could really, obviously, you know, help him out. Um, you know, at Central Michigan, he played. The way he in which he played, I think, would really suit a mobile quarterback, having him beside him. And like I said, coming off of an ACL injury, you really want to go to a place where you feel not only you're going to be able to get as many touches as you need uh, going into what probably should be his last year of eligibility. Maybe he has one more. Uh, maybe he could even uh, appeal for another one uh, due to COVID and probably a gray shirt uh, because of his, uh, of his medical situation. But I also believe that, you know, when, when you're coming off that ACL tear, you, you want to get some confidence back. And, you know, it's one thing to, you know, be asked to run up into the hole 30 times in one game to get your confidence back. It's another thing to have a mobile quarterback next to you that still takes the eye off off of, off of you on some plays and allows you to hit some home runs, right? You know, the, the, the number one thing for guys off of an injury is not necessarily that we can't play anymore, uh, coming being somebody who's come off of an injury before. It's whether or not we can be the exact same guy again, right? You know, it's not necessarily whether or not we can play the game. You know, you, you've worked your butt off. You've put time and effort into, you know, your rehab situation. But it's really about whether or not I can hit that top speed again. It's really about whether or not I can hit that cut again off this same knee, right? I, I can run in a straight line. You know, I can, I can run. You know, I can catch a ball out of the backfield and turn up field. It's can I avoid or elude that, you know, that first defender or that linebacker or that safety in space. And so, you know, I, I think that anywhere he goes that has a mobile quarterback will give him more of an opportunity to, to figure that out faster, as I think he, he'll be in more situations like that where he's going to be running off the counters and things of that nature. Uh, Coy Moore going to Auburn. That's needed. Very, very, very much needed for a, for a wide receiving core that, you know, for the last, I feel like since we started this podcast, I have been absolutely lambasting and slandering on a consistent basis that they don't have anybody there. You know, you get a kid here uh, who oh, I think was just, you know, a little farther on the depth chart than he'd like to be at LSU. Um, I think he's a guy who obviously can give you t can give you something. He's been in the SEC for the last two years. He has the ability, you know, he clearly has the ability, right? Uh, and you're getting a pretty highly touted player. I mean, he was a sub. He was a, a high four star, uh, a low, a low, 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 low five star, uh, if you will. And so I think that when you look at it that way, this is a guy who absolutely can start uh, right away. And I, and I think that with Auburn's offense, they needed an induction of talent at the receiver position. And I think that's exactly what he can give you. Uh, so I, I think that this is a guy who's uber talented, got some athleticism about him as well, uh, you know, 
He was a 36-inch vertical guy coming out of high school, ran in the, in, in the low 4.6s, high 4.5s. Uh, so, you know, I think probably with a little more college dieting and things of that nature, he's probably faster than what he was in high school. And so I think this is a guy who absolutely, absolutely can uh, can, can produce at uh, at Auburn this year. And like I said, they need talent on the outside in a desperate way. So I think that's going to be huge for them. I'm excited to see Charlie Jones at Purdue. Uh, I feel like every year... Um, they have, and I, don't, and I mean this in the in the best way possible, right? I feel like they always have a guy who is a little bit undersized, is you know not the greatest athlete in the world, uh, but just pops off of pages, right? I mean, just absolutely does uh, yeoman's work, and I think that's what Charlie Jones was at Iowa, and I think it's a perfect move for him. This is a guy I think who was a little bit too electrifying to be at Iowa, to be perfectly honest with you. I think he was a guy who didn't get enough touches. For being as good as he was at Iowa, uh, I mean, the, the guy was electrifying. I mean, when Iowa's offense was rolling before it absolutely hit an, you know, a brick wall, he was a large reason as to why that was the case. Um, and I think that at Purdue, he's going to have more of an opportunity um, to do that, right? I think he's going to have more of, of an opportunity to, to make plays out uh, outside because, I mean, that's what he's able to do, right? I think, you know, the, the person that comes to name, of course, and yes, yes, it is, it is low key because they're white, but it is Jackson Anthrop. You know, I think that he is a guy who, you know, can give you similar production, you know, the, the, as Jackson did. Right. Jackson was kind of like he wasn't the guy by any means. But before Rondell Moore, you know, came onto the scene, he was the number one target for, for at least a year. Right. And so I, I think. You know, this is just a move for him to be better. Obviously, they're replacing David Bell, and with as much talent as you possibly can give them, that the more the merrier, right? And I think in this case, he understands the Big Ten landscape. He's not going to come in, you know, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. He's going to come in ready to work and understanding that he's got to boost his draft stock after what was a, a really good first half of the year for Iowa as a whole. Uh, but he also, you know, his numbers decreased as the offense began to slow down itself. So I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what, what he's able to do at Purdue as just a receiver. I understand he's going to be one heck of a punt returner, and that's probably what he'll end up being in the pros if he doesn't have an amazing year. But I want to see what he's able to do as a receiver because I felt like at, at Iowa, he wasn't really able to show that on a consistent basis. Um, yeah. All right, Nick, let's go over to the strength of schedule. And, uh, you know, of course, uh, it's a big, complicated chart that you have here, but you are going to make it easy to run through right now as soon as you explain so please explain to us what all goes into making the cfp winning edge a uh, strength of schedule and um how it may maybe how it differs from others if you know at all i'm just throwing this in here off the you know off the hip here so um uh but but how how do you make yours and how does it compare to other forms of strength of schedule because different outlets make them different ways for sure yeah, absolutely. And and our numbers don't necessarily line up perfectly with some of the others that you might see out there. I know, um, you know, Kelly Ford uh, put out uh, on Twitter this week uh, some graphics of, of his uh, K Ford ratings and, and toughest schedules. And, you know, number one on, on his list was Auburn, who we certainly agree has a very tough schedule. Uh, but our number one is is Arkansas, just the way we calculate it. So, you know, people do different things. I know, you know, some look at uh, records and, and things like that, which is not the, the direction we take. I believe Phil Steele, uh, when when in his magazine references record, first and foremost of, of opponents. Um, but we try to use the, the numbers that we already have on hand so you know uh, our team strength ratings our overall 
power ratings. Uh, what is the average opponent rating? That that's the biggest piece of the pie for us. But then we also you know try to break it down a little bit to be able to pull out you know is there a team that faces a particularly strong or weak uh, set of offenses, set of defenses. So um, we actually break out uh, what seven different ratings. We've got an, an average opponent team strength rating. So just that that very basic, you know, how how strong is the average team on your schedule? Um, we do that, you know, very similar, but with roster strength. So you know, how talented uh, is the average opponent that you face? Uh, and then we break it down by offense and defense. So uh, we do the the offensive roster strength against. So you know your your opponent's average off, uh, offensive roster strength, your opponent's average defensive roster strength. But then we also look at uh, you know team performance from the the most recent year. So what's the average twenty twenty one team performance rating that uh, you your face your opposing offenses and then also your opposing defenses. And then we, you know, throw all those numbers into a formula where the opponent rating and, and the talent rating count the most, but uh, that we're able to, to combine those together and get uh, just sort of a, you know, basic strength of schedule. So that's mostly what we, we will be referring to uh, when we talk about strength of schedule is a, a combination of these ratings um, but we, we do like to, you know, offer a little bit more, hopefully, uh, context and, and maybe a little bit, uh, you know, just, just be a, a tiny bit more informative. I know we have some folks, uh, listening who are, uh, CFF focused. So if you want to look at, you know, what team is, is facing the weakest average defense or, you know, top 10, uh, you know, bottom 10, top 10, what have you, uh, we want to be able to, to provide a little value, uh, for folks, you know, looking at those sort of things as well. Yeah. And, you know, when I look for CFF and, and just for fantasy in general, uh, because a lot of, uh, stuff will be based on, you know, um, the, the strength of schedule going into the season. I, I sometimes have found strength of schedule a little bit eye rolling, but that's more for fantasy football in the NFL because, you know, the the Bengals were the worst team in the NFL and had the number one overall pick in 2019, and then they were in the Super Bowl in 2021. You know, so like things change and rotate so much on a week to week basis and a year to year basis in the NFL. It's much it's much different than your statistical history for colleges. And there are times where teams can pull themselves up out of the gutter and make themselves a nationally prominent team. And you know. Uh, but for the most part, the teams that recruit well historically are going to keep recruiting well. You know, we have some teams that are down right now, Texas and Florida State, who are, uh, you know, you could throw USC in there that are uh, teams that are usually ranked very high and get good recru- recruiting classes and turn that into on-field production. Haven't been there, but they still recruit well. So they still have a good roster and are going to have a good team and are going, you know, if you're on, if you're, if your team is on Texas schedule that it's not going to look like a great matchup unless, you know, you're Alabama, Oklahoma, one of the other upper echelon teams, you're Kansas state. It hurts. You know, uh, if you're, um, you know, Kansas, it hurts having a team that that good, but you know, 
Texas has one of the hardest schedules this year because they play Alabama. You know, you take all those good pack or big 12 teams, excuse me. And then you throw in the best team in the country in Alabama. That's going to hurt your overall strength of schedule. So things fluctuate, things will go differently. And I know a lot of people use this to get their team defenses, but it also for the players that, that are on your team. You know, if your running back is running into a very hard defensive schedule, maybe lower him a little bit in your rankings. If he's in a tier, maybe move somebody else up that has an easier schedule because, you know, uh, this is what you see. Like I said, a lot of this is going to change in the season. You're going to have injuries. You're going to have, uh, you know, uh, guys just underperforming, things like that. So this will change a lot, but I, I love this. I love looking at this in the preseason. So are we going to go um, hardest to easiest? Is that where we're going to start, Nick, and talk about some of these hard schedules here? Or do we want to talk about some of the easiest schedules first? Yeah, let's start with the, the hardest first because there are a couple of teams that, I mean, it's going to be very SEC heavy. Um, yeah. you know, SEC teams are, they rank really high SEC in schedule. our yeah. team strength ratings. And and that I'm sure you talk about eye rolling. I'm sure there'll be plenty of our listeners out there who will who will roll their eyes at, uh, what is it, seven of the top 10 or, or something like that or SEC teams. Um, but, you know. That you mentioned recruiting, and and those are the teams that uh, more often than not are, you know, top twenty-five recruiters. So uh, they're certainly going to rank high on here. But but there are a couple of teams. One in particular, I guess. But you were mis- mentioning, you know, a, a team that might be on the rise, and and there's certainly one that uh, sticks out to me. I know we have some Arizona listeners as well, uh, but they're very very high, toughest basically toughest non-SEC schedule. And I've said before, I love a lot of the things that Arizona has done. Uh, but then you look at the schedule and man, it's going to be very, very difficult for them to make a, you know, a big jump. Uh, they might be a much, much better team uh, this year and they might be able to win couple of more games maybe and and even then it's it's going to be very very tough but uh but I mean, yeah they're their non-pac 12 schedule just looking at it here real quick Nate. mississippi state so an sec team which uh, the sec is tough north dakota state who's one of the worst fcs polls uh that 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 you can have and then they do have you know they got san diego state who they they could beat but that's another tough G5 team uh, for, for Arizona. And Arizona's on the rise, but then you also mix in, you know, your normal Pac-12 of uh, you, you get Oregon, you get Washington on the road, you get USC, you get Utah on the road, you get UCLA on the road, uh, Arizona State um, uh, to end it out uh, as usual as well. So uh, it, it's hard to see, like you see in recruiting, you see a lot of silver lining for U of A, but when you look at the schedule, you go... All right, find find me five wins. Right. I don't know if you can. Right. So that's yeah, it's it's going to be difficult. I mean, I you know when we were first changing over uh, all of our you know twenty twenty one stuff to start getting ready for twenty twenty two, and around that time, you know, signing days coming up, and and there's so much positive momentum for Arizona. Um, they've made a lot of progress in the transfer portal. I mean, Jacob Cowing is one of the best receivers in college football, in my opinion. Um, and he uh, is headed to Arizona and and I think has an opportunity to, to make a big impact. They brought Jaden Delora, who was the uh, all Pac-12, uh, you know, freshman all Pac-12 quarterback. 
uh, or freshman of the year or whatever it was um, last year. A, a decorated uh, freshman quarterback at, at Washington State. He transfers to Arizona, solidifies that position a little bit uh, for them. They, they've had some talent at the running back position. They've gone heavy in the transfer portal at linebacker. Uh, I've got some talent in the defensive line, got a lot of experience in the secondary. So, you know, I, I thought to myself, uh, wow, this Arizona team, we might see a big jump. I mean, one win last year, uh, stumbled out of the gate. They were really, you know, in some ways fortunate to get that one win, um, but played some other teams really close and uh, seemed like the, the kind of team that were doing a lot of the things right to, to build a program to, you know, get up to uh, maybe bowl eligibility. I mean, I, I didn't certainly didn't think that's uh, out of the realm of possibility. I, I guess I still don't, but the fact that they are fifth, and I guess I kind of jumped the, <laughs> jumped the gun a little bit diving into Arizona here, but we've got number one toughest schedule for us is Arkansas. Number two, Texas A&M. Number three, Auburn. Number four, Mississippi State, who uh, will be playing Arizona. Uh, and then number five, Arizona. And, you know, it's it's part of its nine conference games. Part of it is uh, Mississippi State is a top 25 power rating team. I'm not sure they will finish in the top 25 of the college football playoff rankings, but uh, they're, a, they're a team that can beat almost anybody on their schedule in a given day. San Diego State went to the Mountain West Championship, had 11 wins last year, I believe, and beat Arizona. Uh, and then North Dakota State is – maybe outside of Alabama, the, the, just the dynasty of the last uh, right. couple of decades in college football. And, and so, you know, right now we've got North Dakota state is over a touchdown favorite uh, on the road against Arizona, just because they've just been that good. Um, and let's not forget this is an Arizona team that lost to Northern Arizona, FCS Northern Arizona last year. So um, they're, you know, it, it's going to be very, very difficult to make the jump that I, you know, am kind of rooting for, quite honestly, um, for Arizona to make, in part just because the schedule is so brutal. Um, there's no break. There's no guaranteed win. Um, I mean, the closest thing to that, you know, they, they do get Colorado at home, who has the sixth toughest schedule, according to our, our calculations. Uh, but that is the only game right now that we have Arizona even favored in. So, you know, I, I would even say that's not a guarantee. Um, but, you know, can Arizona win three games? Absolutely. Can they win four or five? Maybe. Six is going to be very, very difficult. And would it be a complete shock if this is a, you know, one or two win team again? Probably not. You know, I, I think they will be a much, much better team and a much tougher out week to week. But I'm not sure because of how difficult the schedule is. Um, that the final, you know, their final record will really indicate that. And, you know, looking at the, these SEC teams with the tough schedules, Arkansas, AM, Auburn, Mississippi State, they all have that tough SEC schedule plus one big non-conference opponent for Arkansas. It would be opening up at home against Cincinnati uh, for Mississippi State. Uh, they, they play, um, uh, Actually, Mississippi State, do they have? Oh, they play Memphis, which is a tough game. They Didn't they lose that game last year to, to Memphis? Did Memphis win on like a walk-off field goal? On a controversial deal, yeah. Yeah, yeah I remember because I wanted to go into overtime because I needed some points. 
uh, for that <laughs> game. I, I think I had the over. I remember that one. Uh, Texas A&M. Yeah, Mississippi uh, State had a, a 95% postgame win expectancy, according to uh, collegefootballdata.com. Yeah. So that, yeah, that, that was a uh, little bit of controversy led to that. A&M plays App State and Miami. Uh, they're both at home, but, you know, combine that with going on the road uh, to Alabama, playing Ole Miss, Florida, Auburn, LSU. You know, I mean, they get a break in there with UMass, but, uh, you know, th- that's a tough schedule. Then Auburn has Penn State again, uh, like they did last season as well, plus, you know, Georgia, uh, Alabama, uh, Mississippi, uh, you know, just the, your, your normal, your normal schedule that is going to be real tough in Western Kentucky is a good G five opponent, but obviously they are not going to be what they were last year. Uh, so may, maybe that's a little bit easier for them, but you know, you look at a normal brutal sec schedule and you throw in a Penn state uh, into that. It, it's just, it's a rough ride. And that's why, uh, these teams. And then this is why it's part of the reason why Alabama schedules those cupcakes. Right. Um, and, uh, this year they're not even doing it. They scheduled Texas. It's not their fault. Texas is not, you know, at, at their peak right now. So, um, you know, th- this is, uh, this is what happens with strength to schedule. Who else do you want to go over in terms of brutality on their schedule here, Nick? Well, I mean, the Auburn one is, is, uh, certainly interesting because, they obviously play Alabama every year. They play Georgia every year. So, you know, you're getting the defending SEC champion, the defending national champion. Um, just about, you know, <laughs> some, one of those teams has uh, been in that category uh, a lot over the last decade. So it, it probably gets old for them. Uh, but then, of course, as you mentioned, you had Penn State. Uh, it is at home this year. Auburn does start with five home games, which is certainly helpful. Um, one thing I, I should have mentioned in the you know little bit of a, a disclaimer or uh, you know explanation: these don't necessarily these don't actually I should say uh, take into account home versus away. So you know maybe maybe we should, but we do just sort of look at average rating uh, right now or is sort of what we're talking about here. So Auburn gets a, a little bit of uh, you know some positive there by the, the possibility of, of you know starting uh, fairly fairly hot uh, with five home games at, at the beginning. Um, but just very, very tough uh, opponents week in and week out which is not necessarily, you know, if you're a head coach fighting for your job, basically, like Brian Harson has been already after one year. Um, this is, is a very, very difficult schedule to be able to, to put up a win total uh, or, you know, that, that win number. If he the, keeps his uh, job, he's going to earn it for sure. Right. That's a good way to put it. Absolutely. So, you know, is this uh, the type of schedule that, uh, if you were to say, okay, Brian Harson, get us to eight wins and you're, you know, going to, going to be able to keep your job nine wins. Um, it's going to be a very, very tough, uh, slate to be able to get that done. And, and probably his best hope is, uh, you know, those five straight home games to start. Um, but then things, even, even those aren't guaranteed, you know, they're, they're not necessarily going to be expected to go five and zero uh, as they head to Athens to, to face Georgia on, on October 8th. Um, but you know, that might be their best chance to, 
build some momentum, you know, whatever the the uh, buzzwords might be there um, to to be able to to uh, you know overachieve, I guess. Um, if they can get to five and zero, then they've got a shot. But even then, I mean, that that Penn State game is going to be very tough. Missouri can bite up and you know uh, jump up and, and bite some teams. LSU is still one of the most talented teams in college football. So um, it's it's going to be very very tough, even uh, accounting for uh, that stretch of home games to start. Uh, all right, I told you that Xavier is going to be dropping in to talk some of these schedules. So. Uh, I'm going to drop in Xavier right here to talk about the tough schedules and some CFF relevancy here. I think what's hilarious about the strength of the schedule, first and foremost, has to be the the sheer dominance in the top five of the SEC, right? Like Arkansas, A&M, Auburn, and Mississippi State are four of the top five teams on this list. Uh, with average opponent ranking or rating, you know, and I think that's why even when you look at average opponent talent, they're still four of the top five on this list. I think that's crazy when you really look at, you know, people, I think people would be remiss if they try, you know, or, or people would hate to find out that the SEC really does, does have this much amount of talent as much as people like to slander, you know, the SEC and, you know, uh, the it means more kind of tagline that the SEC has kind of adopted over the last couple of years. I think that people would be a little perturbed to find out that, yeah, no, the SEC is just that much more talented than the rest of college football. Uh, And I think that, you know, when you look at average opponent ranking, and also the other piece of this is when you look at average opponent rating for all four of these teams, they're all in the SEC West. Like, they're all in the SEC West. Now, some of them do cross over, right? Auburn obviously plays Georgia every year. Uh, I think A&M crosses over this year as well. Arkansas typically pick, gets at least one. Every, every team crosses over, obviously. Uh, but sometimes you get lucky with your crossovers, right? Sometimes you get Vanderbilt. Sometimes you get Georgia, right? So, like, and so it's crazy to think that. It also makes me think that, you know, shout out to Jimbo Fisher, because all that talking you did about how great your recruiting class is, well, guess what? You're gonna have to show it on the field this year because you're going up against the number one best, uh, the, the number one toughest schedule, uh, as uh, according to average opponent talent, right? Versus and the third toughest schedule according to average opponent rating. So good job, good good luck, good luck, good luck. And number one, excuse me, an average opponent defensive talent as well. So, hey, you did a hell of a job on the recruiting trail. Now you got to show it. Right now, you gotta show it. Um, I think it was a little bit shocking to me to see Arizona on here. I'll be honest with you. Now, with Arizona, I also feel like that's genuinely because of how poor their team might be as well. And some of these ratings as to why they're so high on this list. Uh, you know, when when you're pretty much, I won't say they're the complete bottom feeder of the Pac-12. You know, uh, you may disagree with me, but at the end of the day, when you are one of the bottom feeders of your conference, it's gonna be making it's gonna make it more difficult. You know, that's why Vanderbilt's top fifteen on this list. Um, you know, that's why, you know, you, you've got some of the, the, the lower ended teams on here, Georgia Tech's in your top 15 as well. Uh, South Carolina's in your top 20, Maryland's in your top 25, Indiana's in your top 25. So like, you know, when you, you do have some of these lesser ranked teams or lesser talented teams, obviously you expect them to be higher up on this list. Um, I will say though, you know, it's, it's very intriguing, especially to look at this preseason, uh, when you're talking about win totals. Uh, because this is massive when I'm looking at win totals for possible teams, especially the, a lot of the teams that will have, you know, six and a half or seven and a half as their biggest, you know, win total. Can they get over the hump against a more talented schedule, right? And get that, you know, that extra win 
uh, to, to take them from seven and a half to eight, you know, or, or are they going to stick at seven, right? Because when, when you look at a team, especially in the guinea pig I'm going to use here is Auburn and Mississippi State. Both of these teams, in my opinion, could very well win eight games. But when you look at their, you know, their, you know, the average rating of, of, of team that they're playing this year, it makes you less bullish on maybe them, uh, on saying Auburn's going to be an eight-win team this year versus, you know, when you look at a team that, that's lower down on the list, you know, let's just go with a, a, an example of, you know, uh, UCF, right? Who on this list is eighty has the 83rd, you know, uh, average opponent rating. I'm much more inclined to say, okay, cool. They could get to eight wins, right? Even losing Dylan Gabriel, even understanding that they've got a brand new offense that they're kind of, that they're in year two with, right? Like they might have more things stacked up against them, but with an easier schedule, I feel more inclined and more bullish to be able to say they may be able to get to eight wins versus an Auburn team that's more talented than that UCF team by you know absolutely has a tougher schedule. So am I a hundred percent sure that they're going to be able to you know actually run the table and win eight games? Like when you really think about how difficult the, the a top five schedule has to be. That means you're not playing very many cupcakes, if any at all. And that means the cupcake teams that you are playing, you've got to dominate, right? You look at Auburn's schedule. They've got, and, and I mean this respectfully, but Mercer and Western Kentucky are probably would be considered their cupcakes. San Jose State, Missouri would probably be, and Mississippi State would probably be considered their middle tier. And then you've got Auburn, uh, excuse me, you've got Penn State, LSU, Georgia, Arkansas, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, Alabama. That would be probably considered their top tier. And it's crazy that the top tier of that consists of six games, right? Like Penn State, LSU, uh, Mississippi, Arkansas, Texas A&M, Alabama, and Georgia, seven games actually, uh, I would consider, you know, either toss-ups or losses for them. And so that's really tough. That's a really difficult schedule. And when you say that out loud as an Auburn fan or even as just a person looking at their win totals going this year, you really look at it and you go, Auburn has to really catch fire at one point in the year to just break out its even at 6-6. Six and six. So I love looking at strength of schedules. I think it's hugely important when you're doing win totals and when you're betting on that. Uh, I think it has massive relevance to CFF uh, because I think, you know, when you're playing tougher schedules, you you're, you're, you're probably feel like the players you're drafting are less inclined to go crazy, right? Because at the end of the day, it's the same thing in the NFL, right? When you, when you do fantasy in the NFL and you understand that, heck, uh, you know, um, Matt Ryan this week is playing you know, a, a, a lesser as playing the, the, the Houston Texans, right? You're more inclined to pick him over maybe even a Patrick Mahomes if he's playing, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers or, you know, the, the Los Angeles Rams, right? Where when, when Even though Patrick Mahomes is the better quarterback, because Matt Ryan is playing the lesser team, you're going to take Matt Ryan because you feel like his numbers might be astronomical against a bad team versus Patrick Mahomes against a good to great team, right? So I, I think it's hugely important in CFF uh, because I think nine times out of ten, that does bold the same in college football as well. You, you don't expect that players are going to put up astronomical numbers against great teams. You just don't, right? Now, obviously, you also have to take into account conference, you know, uh, history about that, because obviously with that being the case, you still have to think about, you know, Texas, Oklahoma are two talented teams, but both the last two years have both can be in complete shootouts. So numbers have been relevant towards picking them in a CFF situation versus, you know, you know what I just said, where, you know, you, you think, okay, Oklahoma's the more talented team. Maybe Texas offense will struggle. Not necessarily. And vice versa, right? So this year, picking Quinn Ewers you, in, in the week of Oklahoma, you may want to pick him because the past shows you, history shows you that this game is an absolute shootout and it's not a slobber knocker versus, you know, 
let's rewind the clock a little bit and go to like some of the Alabama LSU games of the of the early 2000s or early 2010s. And I wouldn't pick a single soul from those games, right? I wouldn't pick a single soul outside of possibly the kicker in that game, right? Because other than that, they weren't putting up points in those games. You know, some of those games ended 9, 6, 14, 10, uh, 17, 13, right? Uh, the same thing goes for a lot of Florida-Georgia games. I'm not picking a soul in those matchups because they are they nine times out of 10 don't go into the 40s. They don't go into the high 30s. Uh, I think last year's um, cocktail game versus Florida was one of the first games to do so in a while, right? And, and I think that, that's... That just kind of shows you that you don't... And that was Georgia being the number one team in the country and Florida being an unranked Florida team, right? And so sometimes you kind of just throw those things out the window uh, when it comes to CFS, CFF, excuse me, and, and you know, uh, in that situation, right? It's, you know, earlier last or late last year, it was when I was talking to Nick and I was like, Nick, do not... You know, if I was going into the Alabama-Albert game last year, I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm going to have Bryce Young. No, no. Absolutely not. And, and you wouldn't have got your money's worth in that game either because, if I'm not mistaken, it went to double overtime, and I think the final score didn't even lend any credence to, to uh, having him there. Right? I, you know, Scott might be able to pull up the numbers of what you know he did last year in that game, but in some games, you just have to realize that, yo, this is going to be a, a, a brawl. This is going to be a slobber knocker of a game, and I don't need any uh, of the guys that are playing in this game because neither one of them are going to produce at a high level, right? Maybe pick the defenses. Uh, you know, uh, I think that might be the only thing you might want to pick going into those games because the defenses might be the only thing that ball out, right? You might get a couple of turnovers, uh, and you might you're going to get a th- a ton, uh, a myriad of defensive stops, right? But yeah, I love strength, strength of schedule. Um, another thing surprising on this, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, has got to be how high uh, you do see the Pac-12 on here. Uh, I think the Pac-12, you know, with Arizona, Colorado, Stanford, uh, I think the Pac-12 is better than what people give them credit for. I think the Pac-12 uh, a lot of times gets a lot of slander uh, for being a poorest conference. Uh, but I think there there's a lot of parity in the Pac-12, especially in the middle to bottom half of the conference. And so when you look at it in that regard, strength of schedule is massive because that middle of the Pac-12 typically is just an absolute, you know, mudslinging contest, right? It's a bunch of teams all trying to vie for, you know, seven and five and eight and four. And so it's really difficult to say that, you know, this team is going to outright just be the third or fourth best team in the Pac-12 in their respective uh, divisions. And I think looking at their strength of schedule matters a lot when you look at it. I mean, just look at last season, right? Uh, you know, the, the North Division last year, you had two seven and six teams. That was second and third place. And then you have five and seven, four and eight, three and nine. On the South Division, right, you've got two eight and four teams, four, two four and eight teams and the one and 11 team in Arizona. That tells you that a lot of teams are just beating up on one another, right? If, if your second best team in each side of the conference are, you know, seven and six, eight and four, that means they're just beating up on everybody. That means that no team outright, except for the teams at the top, you know, the the, the number one teams in both conferences or both divisions, excuse me, are absolutely handling their business on Saturday, which tells you that when it comes to strength of schedule, you might just have to throw that out the window in some respects, right? You may just have to throw that out in the window because there's just that much parity. And that's just an, you know, that just is something that exists in football sometimes is a conference just might be really the same in the middle, might be really similar in the middle, right? You might have two teams that stand out from everybody else, but after that, it is an absolute slugfest between two and four, or, or two and six, excuse me, 
right? You know, on the flip side of that, you look at the SEC last year and you had, you know, at least three teams from each side of the, of the divisions or each side of the conference that, you know, cemented themselves as the best team in those divisions, right? Georgia went 14 and 1, Kentucky went 10 and 3, Alabama went 13 and 2, Ole Miss went 10 and 3, and Arkansas went 9 and 4, which shows you that there are teams that just outright showed you they were the best team in those divisions versus, you know, in the Pac 12, Washington State finished second in the, in the North Division at a 7 and 6 record, right? And that's with losing the bowl game. So, like, you know, 7 and 5, if you, if you look at, if you look at just the, uh, you know, the regular season record. So that so that's that's a massive in, in that regard because I think when you look at it that way, you understand that strength of schedule may mean nothing in some of these situations when it comes to the Pac-12 because of how much parity exists within that conference. You know, you look at it, Arizona's top top five, but then you've got Colorado at six. Uh, you know, you've got Stanford at thir- with a thirteenth hardest schedule according to average opponent rating. You've got. Um, USC with the 32nd according to average opponent rating, but then you've got them at 27 with the average opponent talent. So you you know you've got uh, like so you've got teams on here from the Pac-12 that I would suggest you know maybe should be better this year. But when you look at the strength of schedule, I'm not ready to go on on that limb, right? You've got Oregon rounding out your your top 30 with 31st, or excuse me, with uh, rounding out your top you know your late 30s or early 30s, excuse me. Uh, at, at 31st in average opponent rating and 35th in average opponent talent, uh, which is like I said. A, a crazy thing to look at. I think the other piece to this too is that when you look at you know our average offensive talent, I think you would be surprised by some of the teams that are that when that, that flip in that situation. Uh, you know, you still got some of the SEC teams on this list, but you know, I think it's funny that the, that Texas A&M is playing the average, the best often the best uh, defensive talent and the best offensive talent in the country this year. So A&M, once again, shout out to Jimbo Fisher. You got one hell of a year. You know, you've got one hell of a year, and I can already see Scott, like, you know, grinning, uh, thinking about Texas A&M just getting absolutely obliterated week in and week out playing these difficult matchups. But this is something we talked about, like, two or three years ago, right, where, you know, they had this, they they had, like, a, a, a slaughter of a schedule at the beginning of the year where they played, like, Clemson, Georgia, and like Alabama in their first six weeks. And I was just like, there's no way that they're going to be able to manage this. And they weren't able to, right? And in this year, they've got Sam Houston State, which is no slouch in the D2 in the D two sector. You've got App State, which typically beats a, a D1 team every year. You've got Miami, which is which with, with Travis Van Dyke is not going to be easy to play, play against at all whatsoever. Then you've got Arkansas, Mississippi State, Alabama. That's not going to be easy. Uh, a, a revitalized South Carolina team, Mississippi State, or excuse me, Ole Miss, Florida, Auburn, UMass, which is probably their only genuine cupcake of the entire season, and then LSU. It's probably the only UMass being on their schedule is probably the only thing that doesn't have them at number one in average opponent rating because UMass is probably bringing down everybody else. Like that's how difficult A and M schedule is. That UMass, even with UMass being on their schedule, they're still third in average opponent rating, first in average opponent talent, first in average defensive talent, and first in average offense talent. Now, when I say that, I'm talking about the opponents, not them. Ah, uh, so, whew. I feel sorry for A&M and their schedule this year. Uh, but, I mean, it'll make for fun football. Every week will be an actual game that you have to sit up and watch. It just also means that every game, you know, you may have no nails and be, you know, messing up your cuticles and all that good stuff because of how, you know, worrisome these ball games might be for, for A&M, who, to an extent, let's just be honest, have to put their money where their mouth is, literally, right? NIL has significantly helped you in the recruiting. Now, can you actually turn that into wins? The choice, I mean, the answer is going to be theirs on Saturday on that football field in between the white lines. But, you know, we're looking already that, you know, the, 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 the odds are stacked against them. Let's be honest. The odds are stacked against them. Um, 
when we look at some of the teams at the bottom. All right, Nick, let's talk about some of the easy schedules. Uh, th this is oh, way more fun. Who's got it easy? And and it's kind of it's insulting to uh, the teams on their schedules for sure. But um, you know, and and this is where we get into a little difference. Like when you look at the easy schedules from you know the very bottom to I don't know what is this, 60 teams deep or something, it's going to all be G5 teams because the G5 rosters are historically worse than the, the P5 rosters. So, you know, if you play a G5 schedule, you're going to have an easier schedule. So the way that we have it is uh, how many teams, like how far down is your first P5 easiest schedule? What, what number would it rank there, Nick? So the, uh, the way we calculate it, the easiest P5 schedule uh, is Minnesota, uh, who ranks 73rd. So there are 65 Power 5 uh, schools currently, 66 if you were to, to move BYU into that camp. Uh, but um, so basically, if you're a, a Power 5 school, you are going to play one of the you know, 70, 73 uh, toughest schedules in the country. But at the very end of that is Minnesota. And this time last year, when we you know, had a similar topic, uh, Kentucky was in that spot, which was a little bit of a surprise because, uh, you know, as we, exactly, as we talked about the SEC, but Kentucky was able to, you know, put up a, a really, really, uh, you know, some might call a special year uh, in part because they were a very good team, but you know, certainly in part due to a very manageable schedule. I mean, Kentucky was a 10 win team. How many times in, you know, UK history of, of uh, the Wildcats won 10 games in a year. Um, they were able to do it, able to get nine regular season wins and, and then cap it off with a, a bowl game. So, you know, if we're, if we're looking at uh, teams that could be a sneaky, you know, double digit win type season, um, whether it's in the regular season or, or you know, get get uh, to that point after uh, a bowl win, I think Minnesota, you know, could could do it. Uh, they won obviously nine games last year, bring a lot back, uh, are healthier in some spots, you know, theoretically at least than, than they were last year. Um, so this non-conference schedule is caked. New Mexico State <laughs> and Western Illinois. Uh, the toughest game they have all year is probably uh, Penn State on the road, uh, but but they get um, they play Michigan State on the road too. But they get uh, Purdue at home. Oh, Colorado is another you know non conference team, but that's also at home. Um, they, they play Wisconsin on the road, but they get Iowa at home. So obviously, there's a couple hard games in there. But that's this non-conference schedule: New Mexico State, Western Illinois, and Colorado. Pretty easy. Absolutely, and and yeah, we only have Minnesota um, as an underdog right now in four games, and and all of those are road games. All of them are Big Ten games, and none of those are more than a touchdown. So you know, theoretically, um, Minnesota is is got an opportunity to win every game on its schedule this year, and and. You know, certainly not expecting that. We only have uh, Minnesota right now projected to win 7.86 games uh, next year. So, you know, 
eight and four is is probably a fair um, prediction for their their record there. Uh, but you know they're they're not going to be um, completely outmatched on paper in any game next season. So uh, could they get to ten wins? Could they be a ten and two team? Could they be uh, the Big Ten West champion? Absolutely. Uh, and and a lot of that is is uh, a, a pretty manageable schedule. A couple of other teams jump out, you know, with similar uh, numbers. Duke actually has the second uh, lowest rated strength of schedule among power five teams, which is very advantageous for, um, you know, first year head coach there uh, for a team that really, really struggled last year, three and nine overall winless in the ACC and actually, you know, comes in uh, as we talk right now, ranked 118th in our overall you know, team strength power rankings. I, I believe Duke is the second lowest rated power five team uh, according to our preseason numbers, but there might be a little bit of an opportunity, even though they don't rank particularly high in you know, things like returning production, roster strength. Um, still, there might be an opportunity for Duke to, you know, maybe improve a little bit in, in the win column this year, just because <laughs> schedule sets up pretty well. Temple, one of the worst teams in college football, uh, at least as far as, preseason expectations go and, and, you know, what we've seen in uh, recent years, Northwestern really coming off of a down year uh, and Duke, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Beat Northwestern. Uh, it was only, you know, by, by a touchdown, but uh, it seemed like, you know, the, the score, the final score was a little closer than what it seemed like uh, at least in the first half. And then they get Kansas consistently one of the worst, uh, power five teams in the country. And I certainly do think let's Kansas play, is uh, Let's play the Longhorns in, in Austin and they're great. So <laughs> well, there you go. Points. Uh, but yeah, you know that even though it's, it's two power five opponents, uh, they are two of the power five opponents that you, you know, would hope to, uh, to face if you're a team in Duke's position, uh, trying to get off to a good start under a new head coach, Mike Elko and, and uh, you know, and, and get off to a good start in the season. It's, it's possible Duke could, you know, enter ACC play uh, hosting Virginia on October 1st four and oh, I certainly don't expect it. We only have Duke favored in, in two of those games right now. Um, the, the FCS opponent, North Carolina, A&T and then temple, but still, I mean, they're, those are winnable games, at least those four, uh, early on, and then you know you're sitting four and zero, and and bowl eligibility is a real possibility. Uh, games against Georgia Tech, games against Virginia, uh, you know, uh, also a new head coach might might struggle a little getting out of the gate. Uh, other games become you know winnable at, at that point. Um, so I'm not you know I don't necessarily expect Duke to make a bowl game, but I will say my you know this time last year we talked about how I thought Duke might be the worst uh, power five team <laughs> in the country. And this year, you know, they, they might be there. And as far as overall you know, talent or, or yeah. things like that, exactly. Um, but there's an opportunity for the win loss record to, to at least, you know, uh, maybe improve. Certainly, uh, you know, three wins is, is very, very manageable, I would say. Uh, two others that jump out pretty, pretty low and taking a little step up here in uh, overall, I guess, expectations. UCLA, 
is a team that I know our uh, way of, of doing power ratings. I feel like we're a little higher on UCLA than most, most uh, outfits out there. They're 15th in our current preseason power rankings. Uh, that I mean, this doesn't... is pathetic. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, you look at UCLA, they, their, their non-conference schedule is at home against Bowling Green, uh, Bowling Green at home against Alabama State and at home against South Alabama. Uh, their other games are at Colorado, at home against Washington, Utah, on the road against Oregon, at home against Stanford, on the uh, on the road against Arizona State, Arizona at home, USC at home, and Cal on the road. So, uh, you know, uh, easy, easy front three games there for UCLA for sure. Yeah, there there really is is no reason UCLA should not open four because they open Pac-12 play against Colorado. So um, anything you know, but a four and start is is just a, a complete misstep. But uh, UCLA, you know, they they're a team that makes me nervous because I feel like we've been maybe a little too high on UCLA in our history. But uh, this year, the the schedule looks very very manageable. Uh, especially in the non-conference and, and especially early on. So, you know, maybe maybe we've got a shot to, to uh, be on the right side of things, having UCLA as a top 15 team. And then similarly, Miami is a team I feel like our, our power ratings have been, you know, just a touch too high on the last couple of years. They've been one of those teams. Uh, they often get lumped into that collection Texas, of teams you mentioned earlier, yeah. Texas, USC, um, Florida State. you know, those, those exactly kind of consistent underachievers and Miami finished pretty strong. They, you know, made a coaching change still. And it seems like are, are making a real run, uh, you know, trying, trying to, to uh, get everything lined up to make a real go at, getting back, uh, you know, quote unquote, they have a top 10 roster strength they have before. Uh, and, and, you know, they've, they've disappointed at times, but they're a top 20 team in our preseason power ratings and the schedule sets up, you know, they do have and Texas to their credit, on the road. Right. That's probably the hardest game that they have on yeah. their schedule. They have Clemson on the road too, which is going to be another difficult one. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, this one to me is more about, yes, you play Bethune Cookman, your opener, uh, Southern Miss, the, the game after that. But, um, you know, they just, it, it, this is more happenstance. Like, you know, you get UNC at home, they're replacing their quarterback. Uh, you yeah. get Florida State, your rival at home. Uh, you get Pitt, who just replaced Kenny Pickett at home. You know, so Duke they're, they're and Georgia Tech, uh, Duke and know. Georgia Tech in the schedule, Middle Tennessee, also another decent Virginia uh, Tech on the game. road. But early new head coach, you know, so yeah. I mean, it's it's middle of the you know by that time middle of October. Who would expect? It's not UCLA schedule where they just exactly. you know uh, have a bunch of cupcakes on it. It's just the way that it breaks for Miami more than anything to me. So yeah, yeah. but again, a team that uh, has disappointed in the past, at least based on preseason expectations, our projections, other you know outside. Uh, projections predictions you know thoughts on on talent and things like that but if if a team like miami is going to uh get out to a great start under mario cristobal uh if they are going to you know take that next step forward the schedule might be you know a a pretty big part of that It, it does set up pretty nicely uh for them to 
again, take a, a step in the uh, positive direction in the win column to get eight, nine, maybe 10 wins. Yeah. I, I mean, so uh, is there any other team that you want to talk about just in terms of schedule, any other quirks or weirdness that, uh, that, that we maybe uh, didn't go over here or is that uh, pretty much everything we have on schedules? Well, so, you know, a, a similar thing that I like to look at, and it's it's a little bit of an overlapping, uh, you know, at least in the ratings go. I'm talking about Minnesota and, and Miami, uh, they're low 70s, mid 60s in, in the overall ratings. Um, the group of five, when you get your toughest group of five schedules, they're going to be in that similar uh, part in the rankings. Um, so, you know, there, there are three that are kind of right there around that group. Old Dominion has the 62nd uh, ranked schedule, according to our numbers. So a team that, you know, did have an opportunity to, to get out to a great start under a first-year head coach last year, uh, at least in the second half of the season. Slow start, but then really came on late. So if we're looking at a team like Old Dominion and think, okay, are they going to be able to, to you know, carry this momentum to become a consistent uh, bowl team. They are playing in a new conference this year in, in the Sun Belt, uh, but that schedule is very tough, and and you know one of the toughest uh, group of five schedules in the country. USF, you know, somewhat similarly, the the wins haven't been there under Jeff Scott, but they're you know seemingly doing a lot of things right, bringing in some talented players from the Power Five level. Uh, also had some players who flashed at times last year but their their roster at least on paper looks much stronger they've shown some progress in some other ways but the schedule very very tough at least as far as um you know the group of five goes ulm a team that uh surprised us at times last year beat liberty kind of out of nowhere uh last year and you know under terry bowden was much more competitive than, than most people expected but they face one of those toughest group of five team uh, schedules, but far and away, you know, if we're looking at the toughest uh, schedule at the group of five level, it's Navy. And that's for us um, going to be very, very difficult to, you know, project Navy. We struggled with them last year. We've, we've, we've kind of been, you know, kind of a every other year so far in our history with Navy where we really had them figured out one year and then really wrong the <laughs> next. And last year was that kind was of me a really with Notre wrong. Dame. <laughs> sure. Last year um, picking Notre Dame. I just couldn't get it right every single time. And they're, you know, they're tough because the, the first ingredient and in everything that we do power ratings wise carries the biggest, uh, you know, weight in, in all of our projections, are those talent numbers? Are those talent projections from the recruiting uh, outfits uh, who do, you know, really on the whole a great, great job? But service academies in particular, it's really tough, um, and they they just recruit so different. Where they're bringing in, you know, uh, what fifty guys a year, and almost all of them are two stars. Almost none of them will play as true freshmen and then, you know, how many actually even make it to their sophomore year. A lot of them end up at, you know, the prep school and, and then either transfer or don't play football anymore or, or what have you. So it's, it's just a, it's almost a completely different sport. Like the way that we actually do, uh, 
you know, put in freshmen and the, the team profiles and in the, in the depth charts for Army, Navy, and Air Force, and then BYU, a little different as well. I mean, we do kind of a completely different system. We almost just wait a year and see if they make it to the schedule uh, the next year. Um, but anyway, you know, Navy is a team that we've seen, and, and we saw it, you know, especially in the second half of last season, uh, where they play a style of offense. They have a system together uh, that they're able to neutralize that talent disadvantage. So we have Navy ranked really, really low. I mean, they were only four and eight last year, but that was a little bit of an overachievement, uh, at least from our expectations. But they ranked dead last in roster strength on both the offensive side and the defensive side of the ball. Uh, and they actually don't even rank, you know, particularly high in our team performance ratings. Uh, even though they play better than the talent, you know, looks on paper, uh, they still aren't going to blow you away with, those, uh, you know, advanced stats or, or sort of uh, underlying numbers, but they are a team that plays a certain style of football, triple option, and and uh, keep things close, get a chance to win in, in the fourth quarter. Uh, and so they keep games closer than we might otherwise expect, but still they play the toughest group of five schedule in the country, and it's by far. I mean, they rank 49th in our you know our main strength of schedule uh rating part of that they play notre dame they also play air force who you know for a uh for a military academy we're pretty high on air force this year um they also play the toughest you know teams out of out of their conference out of the aac open conference play with memphis they play smu they play houston they play cincinnati they play ucf and it's just it's it's really, really tough. And so, you know, week to week, I I basically guarantee we're going to continue to struggle with Navy <laughs> unless they just turn out to be, for the whatever reason, theater. just really bad. Yeah. But I thought they were, you know, had a good chance to be really, really bad last year. Uh, and they bring back more this year than they did last year. So uh, I expect them to play these these games a lot closer than what our, um, you know, point spread projections are. But still, I mean, it's a it's a pretty brutal schedule uh, that that Navy has to play at least for the the group of five uh, level this year. All right, let's hear what Xavier has to say about the teams with the easiest uh, schedule. When we look at some of the teams at the bottom, I think it's funny that you know the the, the teams at the bottom of this list are also some of the worst teams in the country. Uh, <laughs> you know, you've got your New Mexico states, you've got your you know your Texas states, you've got your Central Michigans. You've got your FIUs, you've got your Toledos. Uh, it's a little funny to see Army here at the bottom, uh, but Army typically has a little bit of a cupcakey start to their season. Uh, and obviously with them being an independent, they can kind of pick and choose where they want to go. Uh, it's also intriguing to me as a Sunbelt fan to see teams like App State, Coastal Carolina, South Alabama, all at the bottom, Louisiana, all at the bottom of this list as well, um, which just kind of shows you that there's a turnover currently happening in the Sunbelt and, and, and what has been a talented conference um, is kind of in the middle of a flux right now, right? You know, you, you, the Sun Belt, for all intents and purposes, has lost a ton of talent, whether through the draft or, or, or through, you know, uh, graduation or through situations like what happened in Louisiana where, like, 
over, you know, half of their returning production all decided to pick up and go to Florida. I think it was over 60% of the production all decided to hop off and go to Florida. So, you know, that when you've got situations like that, you realize that a conference like that, when you see that, might be up for grabs, right? That a team like a Georgia State, like a, you know, a South Alabama, like a Troy, might be able to make some genuine noise this year with a conference that just may be a little bit weaker than it has been in the last couple of seasons. And that's when you get, you know, like I said, that's when you get one of those middling teams that has, you know, just kind of, you know, constantly being seven wins, six wins, seven wins, eight wins, gets themselves a double-digit win season because the rest of the conference is is playing a little bit down this year. Um, so I'm I'm excited from a Sun as a, from as a Sun Belt fan and obviously as a Georgia State alumni, aha, alumni. Um, I can now say that and and feel confident in saying that that conference may be just wide open this year. It may be like App State and just everybody else, which is what it has been for you know the better part of like seven or eight years before we had the 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 glow, the glow up excuse me of uh coastal carolina and louisiana but you know now it gives the credence it gives opportunity to other teams like uh your like i said like your georgia states like even your georgia southerns your trolls your, your south alabamas to at the very least have better years than maybe they should they, they they should have you know i was talking about win totals earlier might be the same kind of situations where you know now you're looking at it and you go okay cool now a georgia state win total i might have to go over because i look at the rest of the conference and go the opponent ratings aren't that great. They aren't that high. You know, I'm looking at a coastal. I'm looking at Louisiana. Even though Louisiana lost all that talent, Louisiana on this list is 139th. Uh, they they have the 123rd. Uh, you know, average opponent rating. Maybe they still can be a com, you know a competitive outfit, even with all the talent that they left uh, that they lost to, to transfers and obviously to, to graduation slash draft. So you know when you look when you look at it that way, it's really it's really eye opening, and, and it may like I said, it might make you second guess maybe your your statement on oh Louisiana is going to fall off a cliff this year or Coastal Carolina is going to fall off a cliff now that they've lost lost like uh, Isaiah Likely and company so I, I like that I like that a lot all right Nick I think that wraps it up man way quicker show without Xavier here huh he's obviously the one that drags us down every single time right so <laughs> well yeah you and you and I did uh what 50 minutes here uh, oh, no, just the two of us, and, and so uh, yes, I, I uh, uh, we'll we'll blame it on him for sure. But yeah, no, yeah, definitely yeah. appreciate definitely appreciate Xavier uh, recording those uh, making for the us effort, while he's sure. away. Exactly yeah. for sure, and and so uh, look forward to getting the three of us together next week. And uh, yeah, I mean it's it's uh, it's getting close, you know. I know, Mid- I know, man. Getting itchy and getting itchy. I'm ready for some football for sure. So uh, remember, you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for myself at CFB Winning Edge for Nick at Xavier underscore Trish T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. And uh, once again, uh, good luck with your move, Nick. And before we leave, uh, we got to say we got to give our condolences to our friend John Lobb, whose uh, father passed away this week. So uh, we we send our our thoughts and, and, and everything out to john and his family so uh hopefully uh he can um you know uh get get through this difficult time in his life knowing that there are people out there that care about him so uh you know uh, good luck johnny and uh, we will see you guys next week take it easy everybody thank you to our patreon supporters for keeping our show ad free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects thanks also to blake austin for our theme music to learn more about cfb winning edge Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.